0: You know what? It's not even winter yet. Anybody know when winter starts? December 21st. December 21st. Oh, okay. And uh, that's the winter solstice. And so I love winter. So I've been really happy about the rain. Any lo- rain lovers out here? All right. So it's been great to have the rain the last couple of weeks. And it's great to have Christmas in winter. Um, it, it is something that we don't maybe think about too often but that the very beginning of winter is always Christmas. So Christmas always ushers in winter. And a lot of times when we think about winter, I think a lot of us think about it just being cold. Um, Of course, not in Southern California too much. Um, But some of us think about it in the sense of our spirits, right? Is Sometimes you feel like you're in a winter, your soul is in a time of winter. Or maybe you're going through circumstances in life where you feel like the circumstances are really hard, and it's winter. Or, as is the case in my family and in many of yours, we have elderly parents, and some of us have even more elderly grandparents, and we might think about that and say, you know what, they're in the winter of their lives. But in all winters, what I want us to think about today is that in all winters, there can always be the beginning of Christmas. So if we are, have a season of Christmas in winter, then we can have Christmas all year through. How many of you saw the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? I was out about what, eight years ago. How many of you read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Okay, Even more of you read the book, so that's even better. Um, well, the book takes place in a land called Narnia. And this is a make-believe land. It's a book written. It's fiction by C.S. Lewis. But there's a lot of parallels between Narnia and Earth. And it has a lot to do with the problems that are in this country called Narnia. And when the story begins, they enter into the land, and it's winter. And so there's four children, the Pevensies, and, and they end up in this land called Narnia, and it's cold. And they find out that in Narnia, it is always winter. And the reason why it's always winter is that for the previous hundred years, the white witch has taken over the land of Narnia. And she has brought this, what she calls the forever winter of Narnia. But when the Pevensies come, these children, they are beginning to help fulfill the prophecies of what the people of Narnia have been waiting for and coinciding with their presence becomes another man named father christmas and father christmas enters the scene in narnia in this time of winter and they talk to him and they say that now that you're here summer is coming upon us and winter is going to end and they were thinking about it and he said how could it be that there could be a winter without Christmas. Now think about that for ourselves. What if there was no Christmas in the year? What if there was no spirit of the birth of Jesus in our year? And just think if it was Christmas, winter, all the time in our lives. It was always cold and there was never any hope for Christ to come into that life. Well, that's what the story of Narnia is about, about bringing the hope of Christmas into anybody's winter, of bringing the hope of Christ into everybody's life in whatever season they are in. God wants us to live in a land not where it's winter but no Christmas, but in a land where it can always be Christmas. And I think that's what Christmas Day is about. It's a microcosm of how we ought to live all the rest of the year. It's a life in miniature of how we can learn to give to other people a lifestyle that God would have us to have. Would you like to have a life where it's always Christmas? I know I would. And if I think about that, it's not about wrapped gifts, okay, because that would be too stressful. It's not about going to the malls and, and Black Fridays. It's not about that at all. But it's about an opportunity for us to receive a gift from God. Because that's what Christmas is, It's receiving the gift of Jesus from God. And then responding to that gift by giving a gift back to God. Because isn't that what a birthday ought to be, where we give gifts to the person whose birthday we celebrate? And so I want to invite you to pray with me right now. And, and just open up your heart to Jesus. Now, I became a Christian in January 9, 1972, but two weeks before that was Christmas. And I was at the Christmas Eve service in our church, and I wasn't a Christian yet. And I remember uh, a Christian had was um, talking to me through that time and, and uh, starting to begin to share Jesus with me in that time. And I was sitting there at that Christmas Eve service, and I remember thinking after it was over, I go, this one seemed a little different to me. It felt a little different. And I, I shared that with this friend, Terry, and she goes, well, I think that um, God's trying to tell you something. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what that could be. Well, I didn't know Jesus yet, but I do believe that it was on that Christmas Eve that I began to feel the presence of God's Spirit calling me to himself. And two weeks later, I gave my life to Jesus. Well, maybe today could be a day like that for you where God is speaking to you. You may already be a Christian, but God may have something special for you today. And so as you pray, would you ask God that He might speak to you? And we'll ask Him for that now. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and, and I thank you for your love to us. And we thank you, Lord, for winter. Lord, we thank you that you created the four seasons to give us so much life and variety and, and also in a way to show us what our own human lives are like as we go through the seasons of life, everything from spring to summer, to fall, to winter. We're so glad, Lord, that you let us celebrate Jesus' birth at this time. It also does remind us that uh, there can always be a Christmas in any winter. And so, Father, we pray that this day you would speak to us, and that if there's a gift, Lord, that we can give to you today, we pray we would be mindful of that and offer it to you. And if there's a gift that you want to give to us today, I pray that you would also help us to be aware of that and to notice what our hearts are longing for, the things that only you can give. So Lord, help us this day to know how to live a lifestyle where it's always Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to begin by thinking about this, that it's always Christmas. It's always Christmas where our words of faith result in deeds of action. It's always Christmas where our words of faith result in deeds of action. James, this is not um, this is not the, the brother of um, this is not the apostle. This is the brother of Jesus who is writing the book of James, and he says to us, "What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith?" but has no deeds. Can such a faith save him? James begins with this question, and he asks us to think about our lives. These are two rhetorical questions. And what he's trying to tell us here is that actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And we have a lot of different idioms, a lot of different sayings that say the same thing. Um, You've heard of the saying, either put up or... Shut up, right? Maybe you've heard this one before. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, our walk is much more effective in communicating to people what we believe than just our words. Benjamin Franklin said, well done is better than well said. In William Shakespeare, most... Eloquently says this, action is eloquence. Action is eloquence. And James says something here that has been debated by theologians and and Christians ever since it was put into the Bible. And that is, how can we understand this in comparison to what Paul says about salvation? In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So Paul is saying that we cannot be saved by our works. In other words, we can't be good enough to become Christians just because we do good works. That salvation is only a free gift of God. But then James says again, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds, can such a faith save him? And so is James saying that we have to be saved by faith, I mean by good works? Is he saying something contrary to what Paul is teaching? No. They're both saying the same thing. But it's a continuation of what Paul has taught that James is teaching. Paul begins at the beginning of our salvation. He begins at the beginning of our lives. And so what Paul is teaching us is that salvation is only by God's grace through true faith. In other words, salvation comes only because God offers it, and then by faith we receive it. Now James says that after you say that you're a Christian, there's many people in the world who say that they're Christians, And there's many people we might say who have said, I have said the sinner's prayer. You know, like I've asked Jesus into my life. I've prayed and I've asked God to forgive me. But then James is saying, well, if that is true, if you truly have faith to believe that God sent his son into the world to die for your sins and you believe that, then there's going to be a change of life. There's going to be a change that happens because the faith in our life is true. And so what James is saying is that true faith always results in a changed life. True faith always results in a changed life. James is trying to protect us from two things here. He's trying to protect us from hypocrisy. And I think we may all agree that that's probably one of the most damning things that is said about Christians is that we're all just a bunch of hypocrites. And what people are saying is that if we are hypocrites, it's because we say one thing, but we do another. Or we say one thing, but we don't live it out. And so James is saying, you can't just say you're a Christian. If you are a true Christian, then it'll come out through your actions. There'll be changes in your life. And so hypocrisy is something that has nothing to do with the reality of a true believer. That they are seeking to do what is right because of what God has already given to them. But James is also trying to protect us from heresy. And the heresy would be that we say that we are only saved by our good works. Or that we can save ourselves by being good. James isn't saying that at all. He is saying the same thing Paul is saying. Is that we become a Christian by believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And we place our faith, our trust in Jesus. But when that happens in someone's heart, there is a changed life. And that faith begins to produce fruit. In Galatians, Galatians, the Apostle Paul says this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So Paul is saying the exact same thing James is saying. Paul is saying that it's not by laws, it's not by rituals, it's not for the Jews by being circumcised, it's not for the Gentiles by being uncircumcised that they can become Christians. It is simply by putting our faith in Christ Jesus. But if we do put our faith in Jesus Christ, then our faith is going to be producing actions of what Paul calls love. Faith, expressing itself in love. Jesus actually says the exact same thing. And you have those verses there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 21. You have them there in your outline. Would you read them out loud with me? Matthew chapter 7. Verses 16 through 21. Let's say them together. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. And these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is saying the exact same thing that Paul has said. He is saying the exact same thing that James is saying now, is that if we have a true faith, our lives are going to produce good fruit. It's not going to produce bad fruit. It's not going to produce a life of hypocrisy. And Jesus is also saying that just our words alone won't guarantee our salvation. There are people here that that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7 who say, Lord, Lord, they're calling him Jesus. They're calling him Lord. They're crying out to him. But Jesus says, I don't even know you because you never took my word into your heart. You didn't let my love become your love. In your life. You know, we're, we're going to have Christmas in a week and a half. And you think about the different gifts that you've received in your, in your life. And I think about all the different gifts that I've received in my life. And all of them have meaning only, only when they come from a person whom I have a relationship with. I and mean, we don't just tend to give gifts to people out in the streets that we don't know unless, unless we are giving those gifts out of love. Out of a love that comes from an overflow of our own hearts. And when we give those gifts in love, like the gifts that are going down to Mexicali, or many of you wrap Christmas boxes for Operation Christmas Child, and those gifts are going all throughout the world. We don't know those people, but we have a relationship with Jesus. And when we give those gifts to those people, They will understand because of the message that is brought with those gifts. So when the gifts go down to Mexicali next week, a little message will be given to the children of why those gifts are given. It's because the people who give them love Jesus. And they want you to know that Jesus loves you. When those gift boxes are open all around the world from Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, in every box is a little gospel presentation And the missionaries around the world will explain to the children that the reason they get these gifts is because there is a relationship with Jesus and the person who gave the gift to them. It is an expression, it is an overflow of God's love for us that goes to them. Just think of the gifts you receive. Aren't they more meaningful because of the relationship you have with the person who gives it to you? And actually, the stronger the relationship the less important the gift actually has some monetary value because then it truly is, it's what the thought that counts really means something at that time. And so God would want us to know that we can do this all year round. We can match our words with our actions. We can give to other people. We can bear fruit if we're living out the life that Christ has put into us. Secondly, James would want us to know that it's Christmas wherever we can show true mercy and compassion. It's Christmas wherever we can show true mercy and compassion. Um, My favorite comic strip remains to be, even though it hasn't been a new one in probably over 10 or 15 years, by Charles Schultz, right? So, Peanuts. And so we have this one here of Snoopy, and it's winter, all right? And poor old Snoopy here is in the cold, right? And so Linus says, or Charlie Brown says, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? And so in the next um, part of the strip, we see this. And so Linus says, I'll say he does. Maybe we better go over and, and comfort him. So they go on over. And Linus says, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Charlie Brown says, yes, be of good cheer. And then the next strip Their words didn't match their actions. And this is what James wants to teach us as well. And we read that, actually, and this um, comic strip comes from a book um, called The Gospel According to Peanuts. And um, I don't know if it's still in print, but you can probably still get it in a used bookstore online. And it's a very good book. Uh, but here, in James chapter 2, he says, suppose... A brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. God wants our faith to be alive. God doesn't want us to be like Linus or like Charlie Brown. God wants us to show our faith, not just through our words, but most of all through our actions. Because otherwise, if all we do is say the right things and never do the right things, then James says that our faith is dead. It's useless. It's ineffective. Because it fails to do the true aim of faith. The true aim of faith is to give away what one has received. We've received mercy. We've received compassion from God. We've also received lots of material gifts. We all have more than we need. We have so much more than we could ever want already. We don't need another material gift other than food in our lives to keep on going. We have more than enough clothes. We have more than enough means for transportation. We have more than enough protection in our homes. And God gives us this abundance so that we can give. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's not too late, even for this Christmas, to still give. Maybe you didn't get a chance to do Operation Christmas Child or didn't get a chance to sign up for one of the gifts of Mexicali, but it's never too late. Um, I want us to see a video right now, and it's made by an organization called Gospel for Asia. And every year, they make a video, and it's pretty good. It's called Forgotten. Christmas. So let's see this and see what God teaches us through it.
1: Last year, more than $600 billion was spent during the Christmas season, while half the world's population survives on less than $2 per day all year long. Imagine if we spent just 1% of that $600 billion to make the difference in the life of those less fortunate. We could give clean water to billions of thirsty women and children. We could clothe the naked and cold. We could feed the helpless, hungry. And needy, We could give Bibles to those who've never heard the Christmas story and teach them how to read it. This year, we can give more than a gift under a tree. We can give the gift of hope to a lost world that has never even heard how much Jesus loves them. Sure, maybe we can't change the whole world, but maybe we can change the world one family at a time. Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me.
0: In your outline, there's um, the website there for GFA, Gospel for Asia. And there's also Samaritan's Purse there, and there's so many more. On the back table, I have some different gift catalogs that you can just take home if you want also from World Vision. These are ways that you and I, because of what God has given to us, not to earn our salvation, but to reveal it to others that they too might be saved. That these are ways that we can continue to give. And what I like so much about this particular video is it also shows us how we can do it at home. Because we will see homeless people. We will see people of need. We know people of need. We know shut-ins. We know people who don't have even the possibility of having the material blessings that you and I have. But why did God give these to us? He gave them to us so that we could show mercy and compassion to others, so that we could continue to give that others might receive. That this is a joy that there is no greater joy than being able to give to other people in the same way that it gave God joy to give us Jesus. In the same way that Jesus found joy in giving himself for you and me, by giving out of his heart his own mercy, and by dying for us to show us his passion and to give us his compassion. And so God wants us to know that in this way, wherever we show mercy, whenever we show compassion, we spend time with people, we share with them, we listen to them, we reach out to them, we give to them, that this is mercy and compassion incarnate. Just as Emmanuel, God with us, came to give us the same thing. And whenever we do it and wherever we do it, there it is Christmas. Thirdly, James would want us to know, That it's Christmas where we give to God our fullest trust. It's Christmas where we give to God our fullest trust. Let me read for you verses 18 through 26, and you can follow along. James chapter 2. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James is giving us here an opportunity to understand how we can always live out Christmas by giving to God. And by giving the things to God that God would receive. That God wants to know that this is the time where we can give a gift to him. I mean, what kind of gift do you give to a God who already has everything? You ever tried to give a gift to somebody who already has everything? You go, man, I don't know what they need. You know, what they need is probably something that money can't buy. And if there's somebody you know and you think that way, that, man, what do I give a gift to somebody who already has everything? Well, not everybody in fact, nobody has all that they need of love. But God, who already has enough love and is complete love, still receives our love. And this is a gift that we can give to him. This is the gift that Abraham gave to God. In James, it says that Abraham was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. He did something But it also says, that James says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, there's that two parts of salvation that we've been seeing since the beginning, that there is a belief that one has in one's head, in one's heart, and might even say one has through one's mouth, but now there needs to be a belief of what that says by what God, what what that person does. In Hebrews Chapter 11, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, who had received the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. God receives our sacrifices still. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Maybe that's all that you have to give to God. Maybe you're in a winter right now. A winter in your heart, a winter in your life, a winter in your flesh. And God says, you know, this offering that you can still give to me is this broken, is this humble heart. All God wants for us is to be willing to give back to him what he's given to us. That's what Isaac was. It was God's gift to him. It was God's promise that he would have a future. God has said, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars of the sky, than the sands on the shore. And so God was promising through to Abraham, through Isaac, a future. And he gave him this gift. And then Abraham was asked by God, Abraham, will you give that gift back to me? I want you to think about the greatest gifts that you have right now, whatever they may be, whatever you think about. If somebody were to ask you right now, what's the greatest gift you have? What would you say? I want you to think about what's the greatest gift you want? What's the greatest gift you want from God? And suppose you get it. In either case, would you be willing to give it back to God? Maybe there's something that God's speaking to you about right now, about he wants you to give back to him. A love, a relationship, a possession, a sacrifice. This is the gift that we can give to God that makes Christmas Christmas because it displays our trust in the one in whose life we celebrate, who gave us his son. Christmas is a gift of trust. But also, if we have trust, it can be a gift from God and not just to him. And so secondly, Christmas is a gift from God when we receive his salvation and his hope. This is what Rahab teaches us. We read in verse 25, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? This is a story James is referring to the Old Testament, um, to the book of Joshua in chapters um, 2 and chapter 6, where Joshua was about to go into the promised land. He was the one taking the people after Moses and going into the promised land, but they were going to have to fight the enemy. And so they came across a city called Jericho. And maybe you remember the story about Jericho's walls falling down after the people had walked around them for seven days. And God had said to them, I want you to go and take this city. And so Joshua had sent spies into the land of Jericho, the city of Jericho. And when they got there, they met a woman named Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab took these people in and said, I will protect you. And she protected these spies so that they weren't caught. And she said, the reason that I'm protecting you is because I fear your God. I've heard about what your God did in the Red Sea. I've heard what your God has done in leading you through the land. And I know your God is going to win. And I want to be on your side because I believe your God is the one true God. And so she hid the spies. And that's what James is referring to here in his book. He wants us to know that this woman, Rahab the prostitute, could even be saved by God. I don't know what you think your greatest sin is, okay? But how would you like that to be written in the Bible? And I think about, you know, what if it was written about Curtis the liar, you know, or Curtis the cheat, you know? Just think about it. How would you like to have your sin plastered throughout the Bible? And you know, everywhere that Rahab is referred to in the Bible, except for one place, every time she's referred to in the Bible, she's always Rahab the prostitute. I think, about, well, why would God do that? I think the reason why God allows for that to be in his word is to let us know that even to the depth of our sin, he loves us whether we are a prostitute, whether we're a liar, whether we're a cheater, that God would still love us and forgive us. And so that even Rahab was part of God's plan for this world. Even a prostitute, that no sin is so bad that God can't love you or receive you. That one time that Rahab's name is not mentioned as a prostitute is actually in the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1 and 2, we read the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. In Matthew and Luke chapter 1 and 2, we read the Christmas story in the perspective of Mary. And there's a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 that helps us to understand where Joseph came from, the royal lineage of Joseph. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it's here in the Christmas story that we read of the name of Rahab, but not Rahab the prostitute, just Rahab. And there it says in verse 6 Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab was the great, great grandmother of King David. And from that royal line came Joseph, and into the royal lineage of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he came to earth as Emmanuel. You and I can have our sins removed, just as Rahab, the prostitute's name, the prostitute's not there anymore, when we come to Christ of Christmas. And that the Christmas that Jesus comes to bring to us is a Christmas of forgiveness, a Christmas of salvation, a Christmas that we can come and have our sins removed, like Rahab did. And it brings to us in a place, maybe we are in a winter of our souls. And God says, I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope just like I saved Rahab, so will I save you from the circumstances that you're going through. And salvation is about turning our lives over to Jesus. It's also about the continuation of God saving us through circumstances of our lives. And God is doing this for each and every one of us as we turn to him. And we say, Lord, I come to you. And I want to give what I have to you. And so I want to go back to the first prayer that we prayed at the very beginning. Has God sort of nudged your heart in some way today? Is there a gift that you want to give to him? Or has God nudged your heart in some way today that there's a gift you want to receive from him? Communion, as we're going to partake of it in just a few minutes, is a perfect time to communicate with God about that. Because this is why Jesus came. To give his life to die for our sins. That we could have life to live with him. That God with us. It's a time where we can pray and and offer up to God fresh new sacrifices. It's a time where we can pray and also thank God for the greatest sacrifice of all. Would the ushers please come forward? Jesus came to give us of his life, and we're so familiar with it. But on this time, as we think of Christmas and we think of the bread, we hold within our hands a reminder of his body. And when we take of it, we obey him. When he says, this is my body, which is given for you. When we take of the cup and of the juice, we are reminded of our faith in Christ, who died for us and gave his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And this is why he came, to give us of his blood, that we could be forgiven, to give us of his body, that we could be one with him. And so as the cup and as the bread are passed, please hold it and use this as a time to think about what God may be saying to you, or of a gift that you may be wanting to give to God, maybe your own life and your own heart, or your own life and your own heart in a fresh new way. Let God speak to you and you speak back to him. And then we'll come back together and we'll partake in communion as one body. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the promise of Christmas. We thank you for the bread and for the juice that gives us the hope of life because Jesus died. He died on the cross And then he rose again. And he tells us to eat and to drink in remembrance of him. And as often as we do, we proclaim his death until he returns to bring us all together with him in heaven. And Lord, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this, do this, in remembrance of me. Let us remember our Lord. after they had taken up the bread, he took the cup, and he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim my death until our return. Let us proclaim our Lord's love in his blood. Father, thank you for the gift of Christ, the center of life. We pray, Father, that as we continue to celebrate and anticipate the coming, the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, we would also anticipate and look forward to and work to bring about the coming, more quickly even, of the second time of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that our faith in you would grow and our love in you
2: would grow. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.